Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Village Idiocy, conversations from the Wolf Street Playhouse. I'm Jay Danner, and I will once again be your host for what we are calling That's a Wrap. The Agatha Christie thriller, and then there were none, closes its sold-out run tonight at the theater, and we'll be chatting with director Robbie Thomas and actors from the show Jimmy Flannery, Nat Jones, Kyle Downs, and Kara Shannon. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Um, we would like to go around the room and just have everyone say your name and the character you're playing or what you do in the show. Let's start with the director. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Jay. Hi, I'm Hi. Robbie Thomas, and I am the director of this production. And hello, my name is Kara Shannon, and I am the stage manager, manager slash Winifred Naricott in the show. Hey, Jay. Jimmy Hi. Flannery. I play Sir Lawrence Wargrave. Hi, I'm Nat Jones. Some of you know me. I play General McKenzie in Everyone the show. knows Nat Jones. Hi, my name is Kyle Downs, and I play Anthony Marston in the show. Those names, those character names are mouthfuls. Yeah, they're great, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> I love them. So, Robbie, you know, just for our listeners, for a little bit of context, just give everybody a little plot summary, I guess, that would help sure. people listening once we start talking about the show to understand. Yeah, well, uh, we are talking about Agatha Christie's And Then There Were None. It is the best-selling mystery novel of all time. Uh, I think, as we talked about in the last podcast, Jay, um, Agatha Christie's kind of the godmother of mystery, so it's kind of all in the title for this one. And Then There Were None starts out with ten strangers who are called together on Soldier Island for various reasons. They've all gotten an invitation from a Mr. or Mrs. U.N. Owen, and then they start dying one by one. Until there were none. Exactly. So everyone dies. Oh, by the way, this is the spoiler edition. So if you haven't seen, read, or uh, heard about the play, um, well, I already spoiled it. So, yeah, they're all dead. So we. this is really just a few hours before your last performance. The show closes oh. today, yeah? Yep. Right? Going out on a sold-out house. So how, do, how are you guys feeling? Let's start with Jimmy Flannery. Oh. And I guess we can tell everybody... Yes, Sir Lawrence Wargrave, portrayed by Jimmy Flannery, is in fact our murderer. How yeah. does it feel to be a murderer, Jimmy? Uh, well, it's fun. Um, how does it feel to be a killer? <laughs> feel? That's what Emily Brett mm -hmm. says. Feel like? Um, it, you know what? No, it's really fun. And um, uh, Robbie asked me uh, if I wanted to be in the play and I told him that I would love to work with him and I did not know that I would be playing Wargrave when I accepted so then when I got the email that said uh, here's the script and I'd like for you to um, play Wargrave I read it and um, was very excited it's a great role. Jimmy and I spent some time together some weeks ago and I was helping him run lines <laughs> and that was my first introduction to the the play and we talked about playing these kinds of characters I played a ki the killer in another Agatha Christie play that actually Nat Jones and I were in together. That's right. And I always find it interesting to hear what actors think about, you know, sort of, I guess, accepting the fact that their characters are this dark. And, uh, you know, how do you justify killing someone? And you, I thought what you said was interesting that you didn't judge this character and everything that he did, he was perfectly, that you were justified in what you did. Oh, right. Well, I think um, maybe I was talking about, um, you know, I don't know, Lord, uh, my sense of justice, you know, is a little, um, you know, 
I was, I could, you know, you can look at it that I'm don't like the system that the I can view the legal and I'm just kind of just going to make this up that the legal system is dysfunctional and that these people were all actually murderers that they all had actually killed people um, and got away with it um, and that I believed that and that um, I believed in the death penalty and I believed in having all of them killed. I mean, you can look at it like that, um, but then I kill myself too, speaking of spoiler alert. So I, I haven't really thought of this guy as being, I don't really, I like to have fun backstage and I like to just keep it as light as possible when I'm playing a role that's this kind of dark and I don't like to think about the darkness or, or take it home or kind of really internalize any of it. I just kind of trust that the material is there. You know, Robbie does such a great job directing it. Agatha Christie's words are all there. Um, you know, and, and I, I think that I can just get cast being these dark, evil, creepy type of characters without working very hard, to be honest with you. I just sort of look like that for whatever reason. <laughs> but on the inside, you know, it's, it's uh, yeah, well, thank you. So, you know, just approaching the role, um, I just... I just took the direction, you know, basically what Robbie told me to do. <laughs> well, yeah, let's talk about that. Where, I mean, how much do you, what was it a real challenge to sort of have those motivations be <laughs> part of his character and to not let the audience in on it? Jimmy and I talked about that a lot at the beginning of the process uh, because it was written in 1939. It's it's very produced play. Um, most people know if, if, if they've seen or heard this before, they know who the killer is. Um, so... Jimmy and I, I spent a lot of time talking with Jimmy about, okay, I really need to make sure that during this scene you're able to get over to Marston's drink so that if anybody's watching you like a hawk, they know that you could have killed them, killed him here. And so it's completely plausible in our production that Jimmy created all these murders and I started telling Jimmy things about okay when you go off stage here you're actually going to set the seaweed up for something later or this is where you go and he just looked at me like but wh why I can't um it was he, he he did tell me at one point he was like I you know you you figure all this out and <laughs> Wargrave figured all this out but and I mean he had a good point because you as an actor you you can't play that I can't have him playing that he's going over there to murder this person because I don't want to give it away. So uh, the, Yeah, the mastermind. Uh, it, he, this guy is so much smarter than I am. Anybody that could have figured out this whole pl master plan is just ridiculously brilliant. I mean, you know. And um, so I just trusted Robbie that, uh, you know, that the backstory stuff would all take care of itself. And, you know, it's interesting that Robbie just said that um, – he, he, he had me staged so that if somebody was tracking it, they it would be um, believable because last night in the show, um, uh, Emily Brent, played by Kathy Summers, somehow the yarn, she, she drops yarn and I'm supposed to pick it up and then pat her on the back, um, which is um, right before the hypodermic needle is exposed. And um, that didn't happen for some reasons. And uh, friends of mine who saw the show came and said, you know, you could have done every single one of those murders except we didn't understand the hypodermic needle because they, they, they couldn't believe that I would have done that, you know. 
and it's just it's interesting. So people maybe they are paying attention. Well, to that. because for last night it what it didn't happen. Yeah. Every I mean, other night it's happened. It's always been the yarn plausible. didn't fall the, off. The, the something yarn. happened when Kathy got spooked. <laughs> she forgot to drop the yarn. She got so spooked. I, I don't know. Yeah. She gets spooked on the a normal basis for normal that. things. But is it the thunder and lightning that? Oh, I, the thunder I, and I lightning spooks twice. her every night. It is loud. Well, the beautiful it's thing scary. was the first time we added the thunder and lightning. I didn't tell any of the actors that we were going to have thunder and lightning in that. And I I think Kathy may have peed a little um, because she definitely jumped off the couch when it happened for the first time. Kyle, so you're the first character that dies in the play. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. We were sad to see you go. (laughs) You're a fan favorite, right? (laughs) He's a lot of fun, but I, I really think that unfortunately he's not smart enough to last in that house too much longer (laughs) you know he's not going to make it too far past dinner with all of these other people especially this brilliant masterminding serial killer out to get him so what do you do backstage for the next hour and two hours i read a book i hang out with nat i hang out with kathy i (laughs) wait and i just one by one the dressing room gets more and more fun (laughs) right as they one by one die that's well, fun. because if it were just me, the dressing room would be a real killer. <laughs> no, no, no. Some of my favorite times are Nat and I sitting at our table. We talk about acting. We do. We do. We do. Well, speaking of acting, so talk about your process. Like, is it, what is your process? Do you have a technique that you use when you approach a character and take on a play? Yes. I, I like to kind of work very, like, physical first mm-hmm. you know the the reading and memorizing and stuff aside as far as getting into a character i find it helps a lot for me to be on the set helps a lot for me to be with the other actors i really enjoy the directing style that robbie has where we block everything first we get that out of the way and then we go and we get all the movements nailed down and then you can really start making the choices and i'm somebody who really hinges my lines on the blocking and the movement and that's not to say the blocking can ever change but i like to really kind of put on the suit of this person and and try to really on a deeper level get into understanding why they do everything that they do I I think Jimmy said it well and you know you can't judge these characters because all of them Marson included is a murderer I mean spoiler alert Marson runs over two children in his sports car yes and one of the more comedic moments of the show actually (laughs) it gets a big laugh every time Um, but that was that line specifically was one that I had a hard time kind of wrapping my head around as a way to deliver it and a way to do justice to the writing and to this character who is kind of the embodiment of what you could call toxic masculinity. I mean, he's just this sports car driving, philandering, wealthy, unfeeling. So what person. is it? What is the line? What do you say? He says, <laughs> I deserved it. <laughs> he says, I've just thought of something. John and Lucy Combs. Must have been two kids I ran over near Cambridge. <laughs> Beastly bad luck. And then Jimmy says, uh, for, for them or for you? And Marston says, well, I was thinking for me. <laughs> <laughs> and then he has this realization later in the line, like, well, no, but I guess you're right. You know, he it was bad luck for them, too. And as I was kind of working with that and trying to find the best way to deliver that, I realized kind of the only the only way it's ever going to work, the only way it's ever going to land, whether it's funny or whether it's just kind of a shock and it's a an uncomfortable laugh, is if I play it just so seriously. Like he kind of he can't really remember the name. It sounds familiar. It sounds like something that was an issue. Like John and Lucy Combs. Who in the world are they? And then it just kind of dawns on him, and he's like, it, "It's those kids." All of his lines 
can be very drawn back to him and can be very, they're all so selfish. He's so self-obsessed. He, he is so unfeeling that, you know, when, when he looks at like, oh, those kids, because I got my license suspended for a year. And that's like the big end of that line is he's like, well, I mean, I had my license suspended for a year. It was such a nuisance for me. You know, I already got my punishment. So whatever, and, it was an accident. And it, we, we did talk about that a lot, how this is this is a play that's produced a lot. I mean, it is, it is done, whether it's done under this name or under the previous title, The Ten Little Indians, it happens all the time. It's a, it's a favorite of, of small town community theaters. And it can very easily turn into just cheap laughs and and just very um what's the word i'm like campy yes exactly thank you nat very campy um and so we kind of talked about this at the beginning we cannot devolve into that you know we've got a we've got a great cast of 11 actors and thankfully you know they they all have that ability to to play the realism of the situation um you know the thriller only works if you are playing it realistically you're stuck on this island with nine other people you don't know and suddenly they're dying and it's freaky and you know it is a thriller it's scary something is happening you have to play that emotion if you if you step into the just playing that line for a laugh uh that kyle was just talking about he, he wouldn't get a laugh right. or maybe he would but it then everything in the show would get a laugh and it would devolve into camp which is not the way it was written, not the way it was meant to be portrayed, but the way you often see a show like this portrayed. Is way over the top. Way over the top. Which is easy to do with these British types. So Nat, what about you? How does your character fit into the story? I I just want to say that I I approach the the physical aspect too a lot like Kyle. And the first thing I worked on was my sitting because I've sat so much in this play. And I, I, have a, I have a sequoia growing out of my ass. So, um, wow. But it's, um, you know, a sequoia. Oh. Look it up. Is that a tree? Yes. Oh, thank you. It's a big tree with big roots. Did I have to explain these jokes? Anyway. So, yeah, I mean, my character, well, you got to have an old guy in every play. You know, and so that sort of captures the the point where, during the beginning of the second scene, where the stage direction says that Mackenzie is sitting in his chair and he's looking a little bit queer. I'm delusional. I keep seeing my dead wife and imagining that she's on this island. But you know, at one point, I'm standing up there, looking aimlessly out to sea, trying to find my dead wife and somebody says something and it's like no one will ever leave this island and that's when brent says you know will somebody shut grandpa up so that's the reason i'm in this play because there has to be a grandpa somewhere (laughs) so Uh, your dead wife is that is mm -hmm. that the person that your character supposedly killed no i killed her paramour okay basically who is my adc my aide de camp in when we were in the trenches in France in 1917. And basically he was messing around with my wife and I didn't know it. I thought he was just some young friend of the family and this was a purely platonic relationship. It wasn't, he was actually stooping my wife. But anyway. Um, How'd you do him in? I sent him off on a very dangerous mission from which he would never return basically a suicide mission. Whether he knew it was a suicide mission, I don't know, but I did. Right. 
So it's Sayonara Arthur Richmond. So that's how we met his end. So I just, I don't know why this just occurred to me. Am I wrong, Robbie? Like, I feel like all the characters that are responsible for someone else's death mm. is really kind of in an indirect way. They never, it, you know, am I wrong? Like the, the people that well, Jimmy's character comes of in, time. accuses of killing, they didn't shoot them or stab them. Right. There's some sort of either neglect or just some, some sort of manipulation to get them yes. to die or an accident. Yeah, there's yeah. definitely, no, no nobody's, um, you know, poisoning or stabbing or shooting nobody's doing it directly um but you know as which is why they may have gotten off on these crimes exactly and uh, most yeah. of the time and, oh, yeah. and, and it's like you've heard kyle and uh, nat talk about each one of these 10 characters has a very rich backstory that they we all go through in the first two acts of the play it's a three-act play you know and then shit really hits the fan yeah. but we really kind of go through everybody uh, gets accused and then everybody kind of makes their false defense and then you kind of, as the story goes along, you realize what really happened. And yeah, they've all got that. Uh, Marston accidentally, quote unquote, ran over some kids. But it was his fault because he was speeding constantly. Um, you know, Nat's character, uh, Mackenzie, indirectly sent him on the suicide mission. Um Vera, our leading lady, uh, may or may not have purposefully let a child drown. Uh, you don't know. Um, Emily Brent just sent a woman, a girl who was quote-unquote in trouble, uh, out of her house and said she couldn't stay there anymore and made her feel so bad that she drowned herself. Uh, even the judge. The judge sentenced a man to death even though he realized he may have been innocent. Um, and it, I don't think the judge thinks he's innocent, but the jury was certainly willing to s let him off. Mm -hmm. And um, Judge Wargrave sentences him to death. You know, the uh, Bloor, the police officer, commits perjury, and that guy dies in prison. So nobody's 100% responsible for it. The uh, Thomas and Ethel Rogers um, went for the doc. The story is they they're. Uh, mistress was very sick and they went for the doctor and they couldn't get the doctor in time and the assumption is that maybe they didn't go quick enough maybe they just right. let her die a little bit so nobody has actually directly caused the death um which is which would be we would call manslaughter right today sure all of that and i'm not really sure um you know i'm not really sure if manslaughter was a sentence in England in the 30s, or well, when, when did manslaughter, you know, start mm, to, uh, you know, become a thing? E even if it was, it certainly wasn't punishable by death, which is, you know, I mean, what your character thinks that they deserve, yes. right? Right. So, right. Um, well, and and probably a lot of the, um, you know, other victims, you know, the, the, their families and things sure, like that. Sure. The I mean, collateral damage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Jimmy's character does this is his he, he's paying back for everybody He thinks he's doing right by actually killing murderers now the, I mean the one I don't know Jimmy. What do you think? Do, were they all guilty? I mean, I think yes. I mean, you know, but uh, not Wargrave Jimmy though. Oh Jim, me Jimmy, ah, like, As we've talked ah, about it. Do you think they were ah, all actually guilty? well and and because Robbie had asked me to um, Make a decision as to who I believed and who I didn't believe right. uh, with, with various aspects of their story while I was judging them. Um, I mean, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, <laughs> um, I mean, I, I guess I have kind of, I feel um, 
Brian's character, Dr. Armstrong, that, um, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, in other words, if we're going to go with the manslaughter route, that these were all accidents or indirect, then that's maybe that's not even, I don't even know how to answer that question anymore. I mean, <laughs> right. in other words, did they, did they murder them or not? No. But if did, how responsible are they? Um, I mean, they were all responsible. They all admit, I, I would say they were all kind of responsible. I mean, and this, I, sometimes I think Vera, um, Lauren's character, I mean, she might be, in my mind, the most, um, maybe the, maybe, maybe not. She but, seems to be the I'm, one that has the most remorse for what happened. I mean, that's she, kind she, of what that's I That's true. Occurred. She certainly does have the most remorse. I mean, she does end up being the, you know, uh, in the horror genre, I think it's the, the final girl. Um, you know, she is the last survivor. And Jimmy's character even says it's always more interesting to have a girl at the end. I mean, it is a horror trope. We have that final yeah. woman there. Um, so she definitely, she has the screams and the crying and the pleading and the everything you see in a horror movie today. Um, but she definitely, she makes a good case for herself. I, um, having also read the book, the book's a little more condemning on her. Um, so the, the play, while following the book, expertly does you know you can't shove everything in the book into a two and a half hour play so uh, i think the play does leave a little more question i think uh, having read the book i i, I think she's definitely guilty mm. um uh, but Thank with you. what we had to work with yeah, <laughs> uh, but speaking of horror tropes i do just want to touch on something nat and i talked about with because uh, he does have this great scene where uh, you know, he, he's in this trance and, and it seems like maybe he's going a little crazy. Maybe it is just an old man, you know, going a little nuts. Um, but we did talk about how the, there is kind of that all-knowing victim uh, in a horror movie that's like, he is the first one to say, we're all going to die. He yeah. knows they're going to die. And uh, a lot of horror movies, you'll have like a like a blind seer or someone who knows what's going to happen, and right. they're the the prophet role. Um, so Agatha Christie created these tropes that we see now everywhere, um, you know. And Nat and I had a lot of fun with that. Like this is what it's not just an old guy with Alzheimer's. Like th yeah. this is it. You you get it. And he plays it beautifully. And people, you'll hear the thank you nervous laughter in the audience of like I don't know what's going on. And and he just, he freaks everybody out on stage. And it's just, I mean, I don't want to say it's Nat being Nat, but... <laughs> but it's just on the edge of, like, this character is losing his mind. It, or he really is snap. completely clear about what's about to happen. Yeah. 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 Right. So I do want to talk about the ending, but before that, let's get Kara in here. Yes, um, Kara, our Hi. wonderful production so stage you, manager. So was Kara's character, she has, you don't have any lines, right? I do have lines. Oh, you do? I have the very first line okay. in the show. She does. Kara is the only character that shows up at the top and then gets to leave the And island. you leave yeah. by boat. Uh, yeah. Promptly about five minutes into the show. <laughs> so, and we know that you're backstage for the rest of the show, keeping everything running smoothly. Right. Kara right. is is doing all the tricks that we have. We have, se we, you know, we have several things in the show that have to happen. Uh, a lot of the murders have to happen by somebody doing something off stage. So, mm -hmm. Kara gets to kill Brent. I do. Do you knock all the little Indians off the mantle? Only one gets knocked off, yeah. Oh. And that's at the very beginning. Okay. That's actually the hardest thing I do <laughs> in the whole. <laughs> really? And it's hard to get it right, yeah. Because it's I'm because it has to fall I'm just, off. Yeah, I'm just poking yes. a stick through the wall, but like it has to be precise and like a certain 
you know, mm -hmm. speak. I don't know. Did it ever hard. go wrong? That yes, little many soldier times. has yeah. ended up in some interesting places. In oh. a yeah. man's, <laughs> man's lap Like one man's stage. crotch. Because um, I went too hard, you know. Occasionally it just tips over. Sometimes it flies across the room. It Sometimes on what the, the whole stick goes through the wall because I'm just not paying any attention. It'll just fly straight into the... Well, I guess Kathy's the perfect... Doesn't she have the response uh, to Kathy it? Kathy does have oh, the response. Yes. She, well, good for her. Nor normally, yeah, Kathy is the perfect one because her, her line is, Oh, no, look, one of the China soldiers from the mantle, broken. Uh, one night it just and that's Kathy over. Summers that we're talking about. Kathy yeah. Summers, yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, one one night it just tipped over. Thankfully, it was rehearsal because Kathy's response was, "Oh, look, one of the China soldiers tipped over." <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't have the doesn't same have the way. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's play it like it's broken. I'm dead on the ground, and I want that thing to be broken. <laughs> and the night yeah. it flew out into the audience, none of us were prepared for that because if that really were to happen in real life, there would have been more reaction to that flying. Sure. Did they sure. try to hand it back to you? He's kind of. I mean, it Maybe was still on his lap it. when I came oh. <laughs> during intermission. I was like, excuse well, me, sir, nice can I have to save it? Yeah, thankfully, it is right before intermission. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Kara actually is the mastermind behind the show because she has to keep track of everything. Uh, anytime that yeah. in the world of the play, Jimmy's character would be you know, getting rid of these soldiers because as each person dies, a soldier disappears. Kara's the one that's got to keep, okay, who's dead? All right, in this blackout, i got to take two because two people died and... Um, you know, she's constantly running around either helping the actors get ready or, you know, doing some weird thing that I've told her needs to be done. Uh, like pushing doors open with a stick backstage when, right. to yeah, simulate sound, a storm. Yeah, when a sound yeah. cue cues me. It's awesome, though. It's the best backstage thing I've ever done. Lowering the news. Sure. Lowering the noose at the end. Helping me fake my death yeah. on stage. Yeah. And Which she has is, to deal with all that glassware. I do. Oh, I do a, oh, lot a lot of washing backstage. There's a lot of drinking backstage. <laughs> or no, not backstage. <laughs> not <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> there's a lot of drinking from me behind the bar while the show's going on. Backstage, there better not be any drinking. <laughs> Once you're dead, you can Hide do that. Yeah, you can do whatever you <laughs> So speaking of the noose, mm -hmm. so I that was a um, that looked really good. So how did it all, how did it work? Good. Well, um, I know, as I, I think we talked about this on the last podcast, but if anybody didn't listen to that one, uh, there, there were two endings for the play. Um, and the original ending was, was very, very nice, and, and romance won out, and Jimmy comes out to uh, you know, kill his final victim and then kill himself, and all of a sudden the one that just got shot jumps up, grabs the gun, and shoots Jimmy. Mm -hmm. um, and says, women can't shoot. Yes, yes. <laughs> Vera's character then turns and goes, but I thought I shot you, and... Philip Lombard, who's played by John Black, is, is supposed to then say, well, thank heavens that women can't shoot. Uh, you just grazed me. Wow. It's completely implausible. Wow, it's completely ridiculous. Yeah, so uh, we've gone back to Agatha Christie's original ending, uh, which is also the ending for her book, uh, where everyone dies. And then there were none. Um, so most of the time, with the original end, or with the, the less dark ending, um, a noose flies in, and she's about to get hanged, and it never happens. Uh, well, we were doing the darker ending, so we had to figure out how to hang her on stage and how to do that safely. Um, what we've ended up doing is it's, uh, it, she is wearing a climbing harness underneath her costume, and when Jimmy's putting the rope around her neck, he's also clipping her into a carabiner that's hung from aircraft cable mm -hmm. uh, from a steel I-beam. 
Um, and then, but the noose also had to be able, if for some reason, if the one in a thousand percent chance of that aircraft cable breaking, um, then she'd just be hanging by a noose. And so we had to figure out how to deal with that. So what we've done is, is we've, we've tied the noose, we've chopped the noose at the knot um, so that it is not connected. And then it's slightly connected with Velcro right. now. So if oh, any, what a great idea. So it looks great. It still looks like a full noose, but if any any pressure gets put on that noose, it, it pops right off. Um, and, you know, Lauren and I talked a lot about that. We wanted to make sure she felt safe. We wanted to make sure it looked good, but safety was the number one precaution there. And so actually, Kara and Jimmy run the hanging before every show with Lauren uh, just to make sure everything still feels right, the harness still feels safe, the, the, the noose is able to break in the right spot. So... Um, yeah, she handles all that. She runs it every day. Uh, make sure everybody's safe, everybody's good. I mean, every time you see someone being hung in a movie, I mean, it's probably close to the same process. And but I've never seen it happen on stage. Yeah, you can do so it. That was like pretty you crazy. can get away with a lot more on film just because of the way it's cropped. Mm -hmm. The uh, you know uh, the noose may not even be attached to anything above the frame of the film. Uh, but we were being being right in front of you, mm -hmm. and you you see the entire apparatus. She sells it. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. she definitely as, does. As soon sell as the it. chair yeah. is gone. Well, and Dave, um, he has camouflaged the carabiner and the airline cable with rope. Yeah, um, never. So yeah. he was he it wasn't happy like with the beginning the way it looked. So he kept working on it until. He, you know, he didn't want to see anything. He yeah, didn't want to see any of the. It was very obvious yeah. that we were keeping it safe. You could see the carabiner. It was, you know, we tried to cover it with tape. That didn't really work. And then Dave, yeah, it, Dave is not happy until it's done. Uh, Dave Ryan Waldo, Dave Ryan, yeah. managing producer yep. and set designer. Um, yeah, he 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 worked on it through the first two weeks. I think. I think by the third weekend, he was finally happy with how it looked, and it does look better. Mm -hmm. Him having done that, done that, so. So with so many deaths on stage, some of people died off stage too, didn't they? But the ones on stage, and it has to be a. Do you find that the, the most challenging part? Uh, it was, but it was also make kind it of the most fun. Yeah, uh, trying to figure out how to make that happen. I personally wanted all of the deaths to happen on stage, um, and it just it just wasn't plausible. When when it's normally done, it's about half and half. About half the deaths happen on stage, and half of them are off. But we, I think we've only got, well, technically. Two people die off stage, but only but one the the actual death blow with Mrs. Rogers happens on stage. She gets poisoned with barbitone and the brandy. So we see her get poisoned, but then she drifts off to sleep off stage and doesn't wake up. So that one doesn't happen on stage. But Kyle, uh, Kyle, our first death has um, he has to choke with cyanide. Um, so we and we didn't just want to see him just choking and then fall over. So Kyle and I talk about it, and we've got. He, he takes a big Alka-Seltzer tablet right before he takes that swig. And then the foam that builds up in his mouth, he just starts coughing and drooling, and it, and it starts coming out. And it's disgusting, and it looks amazing. Kyle flailing around uh, as that Alka-Seltzer Alka foams um, really sells it. But that, that actual drool looks great on stage. It's the most fun part of this character, for sure. <laughs> oh. Is it an Alka-Seltzer with medicine in it? 
Does it make you drowsy? No, like no, it's, it's just like it's a flavor. Just, uh, um, oh, it's oh, not flavored. It? <laughs> no, it's definitely it not flavored. It tastes awful. It tastes horrible. Uh, yeah, it's real. It, it, it's a very mild dose mm, of aspirin that he well, takes every night. Well, and I spit night. pretty much all of it out, all over my stuff, oh, yeah, all over true. the floor, and all over Brian. <laughs> but yeah, then he does start seizing and convulsing. And uh, a couple of nights ago, he actually uh, the glass that he had actually fell out of his hand a little too high and shattered um, everywhere. And then Kyle has to fall on the ground. Um, thankfully, Are John okay? Black, who is supposed to catch him, <laughs> could see the shattered glass and was able to move him. Uh, Kyle was telling me the other night that it was like, why is he moving me? It was funny, yeah, because I, I dropped the glass and, I mean, Robbie's only note, his biggest note about this death scene was, do not break the glass, do not break the glass, do not break the glass. So, of course, I broke Which the glass. Which meant it had to happen at least yeah. once. Yes, yeah. And, but I, I thought I heard it break, but I wasn't really sure, and there's not really an opportunity for me to look down and see. So, <laughs> I just kind of kept going as usual, and I fall back. And John catches me, and I pretty much slump sideways out of his arms onto the ground, which is exactly where all that broken glass was. And I felt John just, like, pulling me and dragging me in the complete opposite direction of where we've done it every other night. And it was one of just the most, like, guttural primary acting training moments where you're, like, thinking about those trust falls (laughs) you have to do when you're, like, a child. And, you know, just you just have to give your body weight to someone else on stage and let them drag you around and Alka-Seltzer well, I'm glad that you in relaxed into the arms of John Black meanwhile I was behind the bar freaking out texting Kara backstage going the glass is broken we have to fix this and so intermi- <laughs> thankfully intermission is right after that moment yeah. and I realized Kara doesn't have time to fix this she's she's doing everything else that needs to be done for the show <laughs> so I run up there with a broom and I'm trying and, and you know the audience is just sitting there watching like well that wasn't supposed to happen, wasn't? <laughs> and like, they no, that, as evidenced they? by me yeah. frantically yeah. sweeping it up ah. and trying to pick up the shards with duct tape. Uh, but we we got it all up. Nobody got cut. Live Nobody performances. Got cut. John Black, who does up. get shot later in the play and then falls in that area, I was like, make sure you fall downstage. There's definitely no glass down there. Uh, just be careful. I think I got it all. And he told me after the show, he was like, I was like, are you okay? He goes, yeah, I didn't get cut, but I I, I fell down. And I had my back to the audience, and I was dead. And I opened my eyes for half a second, and there was a piece of glass right in front of my head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, the dangers of live theater. Um, but then we also, uh, after that, Nat, I think you're the you're the next to die after Jennifer, aren't you? Yes. Yes, and Nat gets yes. the, the knife in the back, the quintessential knife in the back, which was ah. normally uh, the character just goes and sits upstage with his back to the audience for 15 minutes you're up there. Yes. Uh, <laughs> not doing anything, waiting for Leslie. Uh, and Philip Lombard, John's character, comes over and is like, oh, Mackenzie's got a knife in his back, he's dead, and we never see it. Um, so again, one thing I didn't want to do. Oh. So Julie uh, Ziff, our costume designer, rigged up a, a, a second jacket for Nat that has a knife handle sticking out of its back. So at that point, when that point is supposed to happen now... Nat beautifully staggers on stage and just topples over with this knife handle just straight up out of his back. And everybody it gets a great It's a reaction. gasp. Every, I mean, when I saw it, it was a big... Yeah, yeah, great reaction. Good. And I can keep my eyes open for an unnatural period of time. He, he can, he can. When we were blocking it, he fell... But he can't blink. That facing out <laughs> with his eyes open. And I said, Nat, the scene goes on for another minute and a half just close your eyes because if somebody's watching you and somebody will because I'm that kind of asshole that would just watch and be like yeah. ah, is he breathing blinked. 
I was like, you can't blink. And he does it. And no matter how long the scene goes on, he keeps his eyes open. I don't understand. <laughs> but, you know, He's like a Dying gecko. is a gradual activity. I'm getting used to it. Oh. So, you know. <laughs> You're closer to death I in am. real life. Yes. <laughs> I get it. Well, hopefully you won't go that violently when it happens. We, we do have you die violently quite a bit, don't we? Yeah, I do piss my wife off occasionally. So, you know, if, if anything ever happens to me, it's her fault. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. <laughs> Jimmy, how do you, do you? What does your character do? You shoot yourself. Yes. Yes. Yep. And I say that I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, I say, um, yeah, I. Right. I you shoot go myself. off stage and do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I go. I go to the bedroom and sure. go into the bed and <clears throat> um, make sure there's no fingerprints on the gun and um, and there's this whole. Uh, if you read more than that's just in this script, there's this whole method that the character does so that it looks, you know, like somebody oh my gosh. shot he, he me. So there was a cop show up. to the gun, to my to eyeglasses, to the doorknob. And it's, as he shoots himself, it, it, the eyeglasses are supposed to fall, and the gun goes across it, the room. Yeah. It's very ridiculous. Yeah, we didn't we didn't do all that, but we just yeah. I the just, goal for your character, if, am I right, Robbie? That when is that people show up, no one's supposed to know who problem. killed all these people, right. and you were just probably a victim as well. Yeah, ten Smart. dead bodies. And and he the reason he takes himself back up to his room is because, uh, well, it's 1939, so I guess everybody was kind of keeping a diary at that point. At least that's what Wargrave thinks. And he says, I'll be found laid neatly in my bed with a bullet through my head. As In accordance with all the, in accordance with the record kept by my fellow victims. Right. So everybody's like written, writing their own notes, like, well, he's dead, he's in bed. Mm-hmm. And he wants to make sure it's exactly like that, so there's no questions. Uh, the book actually ends with this, Kyle, you recently read it too, mm-hmm. uh, actually ends with this long scene, right? Of Wargrave writes a letter explaining how he did everything. Yeah, and it's so detailed, and it goes into a lot more detail about each of the characters. Yeah. He names them all in this letter that he's put in a bottle and thrown into the ocean. And, and he talks about each character and why he chose them and how he wanted them to die and just and a lot of it is in your monologue that you have about talking about wanting to do it yourself you've you've mm-hmm. killed you've passed sentence you've you've done the death penalty thing but mm-hmm. never with your own hands never actively um, and it's cool because it's just yeah it's it's a message in a bottle it's such a phenomenal ending to that book because the chapter right before that is the two Scotland Yard officers talking about all these ten bodies that are found and just they mm-hmm. have no idea. No clue. It's definitely an abuse of power. I mean, you know, if I'm going to judge him, <laughs> you know what I mean, sure. which I don't, but speaking from an outsider and maybe relating it to modern day time. Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> timely. Uh, and I guess the, the last couple of things, just to talk about the last few deaths that we haven't touched on, um, unfortunately are the ones that kind of have to happen off stage. Um, Jeffrey's character, Jeff Johnson's character, um, uh, I was just going to say Mr. Rogers, but Thomas Rogers uh, gets chopped with an ax uh, while he's chopping sticks. So unfortunately, we weren't able to do that one on stage. And then Brian Turner's character, Dr. Armstrong, gets pushed off a cliff into the ocean. That's another one we weren't able to do on stage. But everything else, we, we got to happen on stage. Oh, uh, Brent Fox's character, um, 
William Henry Bloor, who normally, almost always happens off stage. He's supposed to hear a boat, run off stage, and then all of a sudden you hear a crash, and Lombard goes after him, and they're like, what happened? And it was like, oh, there was a giant bear clock that fell on top of his head. Something fell off the side of the house and yes. killed him, right? Yeah, yeah. and, and the, the whole the part of the rhyme is uh, three little soldier boys going to the zoo, a big bear hunged one, and then there were two. Um, so it had to be a bear. Uh, in some way, it had to be a bear. So we did figure out how to uh, rig up a, a giant bronze bear head that hangs from the wall uh, on stage so that now, as he hears that boat and runs over to the wall, Kara actually gets to murder him just by pulling a peg mm -hmm. from and backstage, and it falls right on straight his onto his head. Um, it's a fun it's, one. And it's really just <laughs> its just a, a rubber bear mask stuffed with stuffing painted bronze, so it can't hurt him. Yeah. But uh, that was that was the one that we were like, I'll figure out the hanging later. What am I going to do about this bear? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it looks great, though. That's what I've been It told. does. It does. It does. So. Yeah, if it hits him right, it, it looks great. Occasionally yeah. it'll hit him and the, the nose will squish in because it is just a rubber mask. And wow. I've had people come up to me after and be like, yeah, that bear head's a little squishy. I'm like, well, yeah, yeah it's, it, it's also very safe. Well, yeah, and you've got it behind the sofa, to too, yeah. so it masks yeah. a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we do try to mask it as much as we can. Okay. Okay. Thanks, guys. I think this is a good place to wrap it up, as everyone's dead. So <laughs> thanks, Robbie. Congratulations on the run of the show, guys, and have a great show tonight. I'll see you after. Great. Thank thanks you, for having Jay. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to Village Idiocy, Conversations from Wolf Street Playhouse. Our producers are Keely Enright and myself. A big thank you to our amazing technical director and editor, Sierra Garland, our wonderful graphic designer, Nat Jones. You can help us out by subscribing to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you would like to leave us a review, that would really help us out. Thanks for listening. <laughs>